0: Today, we'll be discussing the career of Bruce Willis, and we'll be discussing aphasia. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asap Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today we'll discuss the career of the recently retired Bruce Willis, and we'll discuss his diagnosis of aphasia. I thought it was aphasia.
1: Aphasia, huh?
0: I think you can go either way with that one all right so we'll get into the episode in a second just wanted to mention that people seem to really like it when we tie a topic together an entertainment and a medical one so this one came up so yeah we got some good feedback about some of our recent ones a lot of feedback about our oscars and then our post oscars about yeah and yeah and chris rock so good keep it coming keep letting us know what you guys think and let's get on with this episode I want to talk to you a bit about Bruce Willis's career. What I thought we would do is maybe talk about Bruce Willis himself and, and his career and what he means to each of us. Then we can segue into talking about aphasia, the diagnosis. Then we can go back and talk about what kind of happened over the past few years that gave people a clue in Hollywood that this may have been going on with him. Does that sound okay?
1: Sounds like a rigid anal retentive schedule, which is what people have come to expect of you if they know you. So yeah, it sounds great, bud.
0: Okay. So why don't we start? I got a couple of pieces of trivia for you with mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. Do you know that he's German? He was born in uh, Sacramento, West Germany.
1: California.
0: He was born in Idar Oberstein, West Germany. <laughs> His father was an American soldier. His mother was German. And then they eventually relocated to New Jersey. So that's a little bit of trivia for you. Thank you. I'll never forget that. Did you also know that he originally spoke with a stutter and he joined the drama club to help with feeling comfortable wow. talking in public and then that's how he became an actor?
1: I have a tremendous amount of respect for that in fact. You know I I have a friend who's a comedian and performer Jose Peranian who speaks with a stutter and he's gone on to be a comedian and a very successful public speaker. A buddy of mine, Guido Cocomello, used to have a stutter when he was young and got into acting. And I would think, knowing myself, I would run in the exact opposite direction of anything that put me in a kind of a more public eye if I had a stutter. So I, I hold people who do that in the,
0: in the highest respect. And well, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about, you know, he had a speech disorder when he was younger. And then of course, now the main issue is a speech disorder. A couple more things. He worked as a private investigator for a few years, which I Mm. found was interesting because his major breakthrough role was in. Moonlighting. Moonlighting. I don't, did you watch Moonlighting when it was on?
1: A lot, man.
0: A lot. I don't even
1: know why I loved it as much as I did, you know? 85 to 89. So I don't know, this would make total sense that a 13, 14 year old would love this back and forth witty banter, sexual tension between Bruce Willis and Silbo Shepherd. but I was into it always.
0: Well, they're saying it was one of the first dramedies, like this whole thing, which which now there's so many of them. It's not even a, its own genre. But back then it was like, it was serious, but also funny. And it was quite funny. I mean, all the witty banter, as you said, apparently if you look at the scripts, the scripts are double the size of a normal Hollywood script because there's so much back and forth, quick, you know, jokes back and forth and witty banter. And it was great. I don't know why I loved it. Neither, but I I did. It was very kind of cutting edge. They would break the fourth wall, they do all these things, and yeah, I mean that's really what made Bruce Willis a star. I mean, and they were all there were some issues on set and eventually the whole thing kind of just fell apart. But for when it was on it was it was great.
1: Yeah, I didn't even know about any of that at the time, right? I don't even know. I guess the tabloid news wasn't getting to me at the time. I just thought it ended because it ended. I had no idea about any. They weren't getting along, right? Bruce yeah, Sybil Shepherd
0: some... and Bruce Willis think along, then Sybil Shepherd and Twins, and she's like, I don't really like this schedule. And then the creator of the show also was basically pulling his hair out with, with some of these issues. So it ended kind of after a relatively short run. And then Bruce Willis, I remember him from the Seagram's commercials. And do you remember his album, Return of Bruno? Dude,
1: you know the rules. We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. I don't remember that album. And that's not just because the rule is we don't talk about Bruno on the show, but I don't remember that album at all. I remember him doing some music, Mm -hmm. some kind of like soul music type of stuff. And then, you know, throughout the years at like, I don't know where, it's not like hard rock cafe events, but he's, I've seen him on stage performing. That is very much a memory of mine, but the memory fades as I think about like exactly what type of music and did he have an instrument? I feel like I remember him with sunglasses on microphone to his mouth and singing soulful, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: That's all I really remember. I remember there were music videos that were on, they were on like heavy rotation. I remember people thinking he was relatively successful as a recording artist, but I don't know. I never bought his albums or anything. But of course, you know, after Moonlighting, his major breakthrough role was... Buddy, the best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. And I mean, I don't have any, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight either way about whether it's a Christmas movie or not. I don't care. It's just a good movie. In fact, it's. I'm just thinking about it. It's one of the best action movies ever made. You know, probably that and Predator are the two... Best action movies, I don't know, like especially from that era, the 1980s. Sure, so good, and really, that's he became a megastar. He now he's like Planet Hollywood level with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Sure, like,
1: that's what I mean. Planet Hollywood, he's not Hard Rock Cafe. And I'm just looking oh, it up right now. Where that came the from. return of man, I these all blend into one another at this point in my
0: life. So, what are your kind of like memories? What do you think the legacy of Bruce Willis is like?
1: You know, this is a weird thing, and I didn't check the dates on this, but I will. I felt like Bruce Willis could do no wrong in my mind and was, was, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about the moonlighting stuff. So for me, like, everything was good. He was great. He was married to Demi Moore. And I don't know if you remember this, but, like... Woody Harrelson was trying to have sex with Demi Moore for a million dollars. There was this whole thing going on in Hollywood. Yeah, that
0: was that was fictional, but was on. that a was that a yeah. movie? Yeah. So, but no. And in the movie, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore were married. It was Robert Redford. Oh my god. Oh my god. My <laughs> memory. What's happening? But what were your like? What are your the major Bruce Willis things that you think about from his career when you think about him?
1: Well, all the diehards definitely, and then also. I know there was a long period of a bunch of movies that were sort of up and down and various levels of good and bad, but it was really like 12 Monkeys, then the M. Night Shyamalan movies. Sounds good. Yeah, right? Six Sense, those those kind of brought him back into like bonafide, fantastic actor. I felt like he had drifted off for a while, but also that, that situation with something about when... Demi Moore married Ashton Kutcher. I felt like, and this could be completely wrong. I felt like Bruce Willis just became more of a sour person. I'm sure it coincided with a thousand other things, but I felt like he just wasn't, I don't know. He just, he got angrier.
0: Well, I didn't think that. From what I've read, they had a really good, amicable relationship. And in fact, they'll still send Christmas cards and stuff together. I don't think it has anything to do with Demi.
1: I think it has to do with the media and people around Bruce Willis going, well, how does that feel? She left you for a 12-year-old or whatever he was, you know?
0: I wonder. So, yeah, we'll get into this in a second because, you know, he did have a reputation in Hollywood. First of all, the reputation is a lot of hits, then a lot of misses, right? And again, you can say, like, Moonlighting and Die Hard – To me, those are two, like Moonlight is one of the best TV series ever, and Die Hard is one of the best action movies ever. And I love 12 Monkeys. It is a great, great movie. Mm. Again, in terms of science fiction, it's... Perfect. And he was well cast in that. And even in, as you said, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, I'm like, I think it's a bit overrated. I know some people love that movie. But he was well cast in both of those. He's kind of stoic. He's not making wisecracks anymore. You know, he's a bit vulnerable as a main protagonist in the movies. So I think those are really probably the heights of his career. But as you said, he'd have all these ups and downs. But then I would say, probably in the two thousands, like post the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, there was a lot of I don't know, like a lot of you just hear negative things about him. He also had Armageddon and some of those other oh, you know, yeah. hit, hit movies, right? But there was he a lot saved of negative Ben things. Affleck's life. Come on, that, man, that, that, that's right. But there was lots of ups and downs, and you'd hear kind of negative things about him in the media, in terms of how he was acting on set, and his in just dropping out of movies, demanding a lot of money. I remember him and Sylvester Stallone and the expendables. I don't know if you remember that more recent kind of action movies where they assembled all the eighties action stars together and did missions and things like that. And Bruce Willis like apparently was kept holding out for more money and things like that. Mm. So there were some issues. And then, so, I mean, I think he has this career as really a pop culture icon. And I think there is some diminishing returns over time with him, especially, i say, in the last 10 to 15 years. Like, if we're talking about his last really good movie, we're basically talking about The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, which was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, and The Fifth Element. I thought he was great in The Fifth Element. We're forgetting about that. But those are all 90s. That's... Or like early two thousands at the yeah, latest, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so
0: yeah, that's yeah. That's, a, that's a while ago. But again, a lot of people are attributing that to this diagnosis of aphasia. So let's transition to talking about that. So
1: aphasia, you know, as I've been reading about this, what I knew about it is I have a friend who's a speech pathologist. She would help people who had aphasia. I thought it was sort of more of a, something more verbal. And I didn't realize it had a neurological connection. According to the National Aphasia Association, they say the condition is an acquired communication disorder that impairs the ability to process language, but does not affect intelligence. And then in the L.A. Times, in an article that I'm I'm sure you'll link to, Asif, aphasia is a language disorder— So yeah, communication door, same thing, caused by brain damage. They add the brain damage element that affects a person's ability to communicate. So I saw these various things. I know about my own limited knowledge. I also know that it's much more common than people think it is. And I'm sure we'll be hearing much more about it after this sort of high profile actor's diagnosis. But I wanted to find, you explained to me that it's a neurological condition at its core. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I guess I agree with you (laughs) and because I know nothing. And then- I thought, let's get into it. What is your experience with aphasia and the world of neurology? And what is it? And, you know, we can get into what it means for Bruce Willis, too.
0: Well, as you said, it, this acquired disorder of language, usually due to some sort of brain injury or dysfunction. I guess brain damage is one way, but people sometimes think, oh, brain damage, you mean like a car accident or something like that? I mean, it's usually due to a stroke, or due to a dementia-type process. Those are the two kind of things. So, basically, we don't see it very often in pediatric neurology, but when I did my rotations in adult neurology, we saw it very commonly because, again, strokes and dementia are very common things. So, really, it involves the left hemisphere of the brain more than the right because... You know, our brains are, it's crossed essentially. So the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body and vice versa. So if you're right-handed, your dominant side for language is going to be your left hemisphere. And even if you're left-handed, it's still most likely going to be the left as well. And so, when you have a problem with the left hemisphere, especially involving the language centers, then you can get aphasia. So it's different than a developmental disorder, where you know a child is growing up and they have difficulty with speaking or producing language. That we call, sometimes call dysphasia, because it, it just differentiated for something that occurs in older people and is acquired over time. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same as a speech disorder. So, like stuttering like dysarthria. So sometimes you hear people who slur their words because they've had a stroke or something like that. So they can still have a conversation, but it's hard to understand them. So that's different. That's dysarthria. So we have to kind of separate it from these other things. So this is a pure problem in the brain in the areas that create language and interpret language, essentially. So you asked me about how common it is. We don't actually know so strokes the most common cause of aphasia and we know about 20 or 30 percent of patients with stroke will have aphasia and you know there's at least 800,000 strokes per year in the US so we're talking about a, a huge amount of people and so a lot of people will be developing aphasia related to stroke so mm-hmm. it's interesting the first thing about this Bruce Willis thing is that people are like he has aphasia but aphasia is a symptom not really a diagnosis. And so you always want to say, well, aphasia due to what, right? And we're not getting that
1: information yet. Or if he, like, if he's had a stroke that is not being spoken about, that's being held as a.
0: Yeah. And I have a feeling it, well, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other causes in a segment, different types, but yeah, you would have kind of heard, I think if he had a stroke and that's also a sudden thing, right? He would have been fine and then had it, it would be more likely someone would say he had a stroke as opposed to saying he has aphasia. So I I would guess in his situation, it's probably not a stroke that caused it. And so one way we're able to establish this is when we see a patient in the neurology clinic, we ask them to do several things, right? And so, Ali, I'm going to ask you to do some of these things, okay? Mm. And these are some of the tests that we do. So first of all, we name things, right? So Ali, what's this that I'm holding up? And you guys can't see it. It's a pencil, pencil that I'm holding, holding up, up see? And what are these that I'm pointing headphones at Headphones,
1: he's pointing at. So
0: you ask someone to name something. So naming is one of the things we ask people to do. And we do something that's a high frequency word, which is something like a pencil, and a low frequency word like headphones. We don't use the headphones maybe as often as, as we would say pencil. Then we ask people to repeat. So Ali, can you say no ifs, ands, or buts? No ifs, ands, or buts? So one, once? No, you know, just have to say once. Oh, I thought he was so, repeating. But the, we just repeat after me. I mean, ah, I got it. And then we assess for fluency. So I'm listening to Ali and asking him, you know, these questions, and he, I can understand what he's saying. He can't always understand what I say because of you know technical Your limitations, with yeah, the language, exactly. yeah.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: And then the last one is comprehension. So Ali, can you point to the microphone in front of you? I'm and he it. did it, guys. He did it. You have to take my word for it. So by asking these different things, naming, repetition, fluency, and comprehension, by seeing what you have a problem with, you can determine what kind of aphasia you have and which area of the brain. So the types of aphasias that we learn about in medical school, one of them is called Broca's aphasia, and it involves an area called a Broca's area, which is in the frontal lobe. And these patients who have damage to this area, again, we'll say stroke because that's the most common reason, though there could be others, they can't produce spontaneous speech. So they can't name things, they can't repeat things, but their comprehension is good. So in other words, we would check off naming, repetition, but they're not that fluent, but they can understand what's being asked of them. So, these patients, it's a bit sad because they know what they want to say. They want to say something, but they just can't produce it. And so they're very aware of their deficits. So they become very depressed. And there's a term called a catastrophic reaction, where they basically withdraw from the outside world because they're so upset by this. So they're aware of this. And so this is also called an expressive aphasia. I can't express myself.
1: Kirk Douglas famously had aphasia and said, that i mean he was in his 90s when he had it i believe but he he said that he pulled down the blinds and cried for days mm-hmm. well, in, in the dark that. because he knew something horrible was happening to him he just didn't know what and very sort of macho old school guy didn't really you know want to reach out mm-hmm. for help mm-hmm. immediately until he had to
0: the other main type of aphasia is wernicke's aphasia so these patients have a fluent language expression so their talk saying a bunch of words But they don't actually mean anything. So they just list a bunch of random words and it doesn't mean anything. And even make up new words called neologisms. And so they'll talk and they think that they're having a conversation with you and it makes absolutely no sense. These patients are not aware of the problem they have with their speaking. So they'll just talk and not be even aware of what's going on. And these are problems with the temporal lobe. And often it gets to the point where they're so frustrated that people don't understand them, and maybe even they become paranoid about their failure to communicate because it doesn't make sense to them why other people don't understand. So it's kind of the opposite, right? They're producing words. The words don't make any sense, but they're not even aware of the problem they have. Okay. And then you can have a problem with the connection between these two areas, Broca's area and Wernicke's area, and that's a conduction aphasia. So the only problem with them in this case is they can't repeat. So they can understand what you're asking them to do, and they can produce spontaneous speech. But when you ask them to repeat something, there's no connection, right? So there's the receptive and the expressive parts don't connect with each other. And then you can have a global aphasia where you have a problem with all these different areas. And that you can see with the really large strokes and things like that. There is also this whole area of what we call transcortical aphasias where you actually can repeat. It's because they involve different areas of the brain. And there's also aphasia that can be caused by injury to different parts of the brain, not even what we talked about, but even more distal parts, or even more basic parts of the brain. That's interesting to a neurologist, but I don't think we need to get into them right now.
1: I can hear yawning. I can hear yawning. You mean through the listeners? Through my headphones, yeah. Somebody's yawning. I don't know who it is, but I can hear it. So those three plus the transcortical that you mentioned, those are connected to strokes.
0: Is that right? Most commonly, most commonly. They can be other causes as well.
1: And you're suggesting that we would have known. My theory is because he's so wealthy and so protected, he could have had a stroke that they were like, do not let this news get out. But if you're saying he didn't have a stroke... Are there other types of aphasia that he could have?
0: Right. So it's almost like we're looking for now what are the different causes of aphasia, right? And again, my theory I don't know. I don't know anything about Bruce Willis as a person and his medical history, but I wonder if he has something called a primary progressive aphasia. So these are very interesting disorders where essentially you can think of them as a type of dementia, like an Alzheimer's disease, but they present primarily with a language problem. And again, I'm just going to be full disclosure here. These occur almost exclusively in adults, older adults, elderly people and I'm a pediatric neurologist so I'm no expert on this, but you know, I know what I what I learned in residency and things like that. And these may be more what's going on, okay? So One of them is a primary non-fluent aphasia. So there's three types of these. So the first one is the primary non-fluent progressive aphasia. So basically, it resembles that Broca's aphasia. So with those ones, again, they have a difficulty with expressing their language. And there's a great article, which I'll link to, which reviews all of these. It's a great article even just for the average person who's not in medicine to read because the authors paint such a vivid picture of what's going on with these patients. So they say for this type of aphasia, the non-fluent progressive aphasia, they say the listener, so us listening to someone with this aphasia, is left with an almost painful sense of the person's struggle to speak. It's almost like they don't slur words, but they're groping to find the sound that they need to produce the next part of their speech. And they have this apraxia of oral facial movements. So what that means is they can't, if you ask them to you know, do the movement that you do when you're yawning or whistling, they can't do that. So they also can not produce some of these emotions as well. And so this is associated with atrophy, if you do an MRI, of the inferior frontal gyrus, so Broca's area. So it's a Broca's aphasia, but it's very specific because it's caused by a dementia as opposed to a stroke. So we'll have some of these other features as well. Interestingly, same with the Broca's aphasia we talked about before. They have insight, so they can develop depression with regards to this. And some of them also have Parkinson's disease associated with it as well. And there's been pathology studies when these patients die, that kind of look at some of these proteins that they see, and they can see how it's similar to other dementing illnesses. But again, you can't diagnose that beforehand, right? So you just have to use these clinical clues to figure out. So that's the Mm -hmm. first kind of primary progressive dementia, which is similar to a Broca's aphasia, but it's more prolonged. The second type is called a semantic aphasia. And what happens is, again, they have this well-articulated language that is basically what they say bereft of substance. So their verbal messages are kind of empty. They use less specific content. So if they're talking about, this is from that article, if they're talking about a dashand or a parakeet, they would call things an animal or a thing, right? They'll use very generic things. So they're still talking, but they're not using specific words for things. When you're meeting with them and and going over to try to figure out what's going on, you should ask the meaning of previously familiar words. So you ask like, what is broccoli? So you're not asking them what's something new or trying to figure out something new, but something they should definitely know. And they say, it's not just a problem with accessing words. So it's not a memory problem. It's as they say in this article, the erosion of vocabulary itself. It's amazing writing for a technical medical article. And so they try and regularize words by using rules of learned vocabulary. So that seems a bit complicated. But what they mean is the word island, they would read it. They don't know what that word is. They have no idea what that word is. But they'll pronounce it island because they're trying to use rules that they do remember to uncover the word. And the area of atrophy for this semantic aphasia is in the temporal lobe. So again, kind of similar to that Wernicke's aphasia as well. So this can be similar to a type of dementia, which is different than Alzheimer's disease that's called a frontotemporal dementia. And there's sometimes an overlap in the symptoms with these. But they have some very interesting things. They have sometimes they get social disinhibition, absent empathy, and a pathological sweet tooth. And they can even have even more behavior. Features like getting into food fadism, exaggerated reactions to pain, obsessional interest. I've had pathological beer tooth and cheese tooth. Is this something I should be
1: keeping an eye on? I think
0: we should keep an eye on it, for sure. Okay. They also have obsessional interest in numbers and puzzles, like really into Sudoku or jigsaw puzzles or music, but just in order and extent, which is all very interesting. But again, Mm -hmm. that's more than language. It's kind of these other things, these behavioral It's a compensation in some way, like
1: your mind is failing in one department and you just at some level start to be like, well, let me really zero in on the stuff that I can. That's what you
0: would think, but I don't think so. I think it no? just, it, who knows why, but something's happening there. It's more like you're obsessing about these, these different things. I like my
1: theory more, Asif.
0: Well, I mean, it makes you feel better. I think one feel better. Yes. The last one is a bit more complicated one and that's called logopenic primary progressive aphasia. Where they have difficulty with word finding and they have conversational lapses. At the beginning, it's kind of just normal stuff, like they can't find a word that's on the tip of their tongue. And they also say that sometimes they develop a very mannered style of conversation, likened by one spouse in an article to a Jane Austen character. And so the very formal kind of speaking, they have these sentences that kind of just trail off over time. I know some of this sounds like me, so like... (laughs) We'll keep an eye on you. Yeah, exactly. But when you delve into it more, you see there's an overlap with Alzheimer's disease. So this is a lot of difficulty with memory issues and remembering certain words. So that's how you differentiate it from some of those other ones. And then when you probe further, you can find difficulties with memory or things like that. So one of the features that distinguishes it is difficulty repeating phrases and sentences versus single words. So in other words, just repeating a word is, is possible, but repeating a full sentence or something like that, they have a hard time remembering to do that. And this sounds, from my reading, one of the more controversial things. And again, there's an overlap with Alzheimer's disease, and they can get some areas of the brain atrophied on MRI, like an area called the sylvian fissure on the left. So those are the different types of primary progressive aphasias. I would guess that they think that Bruce Willis has one of these.
1: Well, okay, so let's, you know, you've gone deep into the weeds of, of aphasia, but let's talk about this in a practical sense. I, I wanted to bring up three different things that were interesting and Kind of disturbing and heartbreaking if you're a Bruce Willis fan. But from that L.A. Times article, from the article in Variety, there's three things that I really noted. Number one, you know, his capacity to work long hours had diminished. Uh, Eight-hour day was what was requested. Often he'd leave by four hours, right? And more than that, they were trying to fit all his lines into one day or two days of shooting so sometimes 25 plus days of script in 2 days and one of the directors was like it was exceedingly difficult to the point we were like we don't think we can work with Bruce Willis anymore so his mental stamina was diminished i think we could say from that right number 2 he had the ability to repeat he had more and more often someone in his ear with what's called an ear earwig they call it an ear yeah an earwig which is a very gross thing to have in your ear mm-hmm. in real life. But in Hollywood, they call it, you know, an earpiece basically. And so somebody would feed him the lines. So that means he was able to repeat. And that was you know, what was helping him in the end. And the third thing that I found particularly, like I say, fascinating and disturbing was on one set, he said to two people, he said, I know why you're here and I know why you're here, but I don't know why I'm here. So it touches on that confusion that you were speaking about. And actually, while we're on the subject, I know I said three things, but a fourth thing maybe worth bringing up is also that, you know, there was this incident on set where when you fire a gun, any loaded firearms, it's very, very highly choreographed, typically. So if you're going to shoot a gun, even though it's not supposed to be loaded, you are supposed to know to duck or get out of the way. And then you're, you're sort of shot out of the scene, made to look like you were in the scene. So he was supposed to give some verbal cue, some line, like whatever it might've been. Oh yeah. And then, so the actor who was in front of him with her back towards him playing his daughter, I can't remember her name last, Lara Kent, I think she would know to duck because he says a line. He didn't deliver that line and shot the gun. And she says, okay, I thought, okay, that's, these things happen, but She reminded the director, can you please remind him to give that cue before he shoots. They do the scene again. He again forgets to deliver the line and just shoots. So there's a following instructions situation there, clearly, right? So he can repeat, struggle with following instructions, mental stamina is down, and there's that confusion. So with all those things, those few things that we know, and I say few because there's got to be a thousand more this is all that's been sort of you know publicized so far what do you make of that and what type of aphasia this could have been?
0: Yeah. So we know that if he can repeat, he doesn't have one of those Wernicke, original Wernicke's Broca's conduction or global aphasias. He could have a transcortical aphasia occurring higher up. But then you think, okay, well, what about these primary progressive aphasias? Because that seems to be more likely in terms of what's going on. Because as you said, they would have said, oh, he has a stroke, he's a brain tumor. Or maybe they're keeping it secret. But,
1: I, that's what I'm suggesting, yeah. that if there was one guy who they could have kept it a secret, yeah. The million dollar, you know, multi-million dollar a day earning Bruce Willis with his entourage, they could have been like, we'll sue this entire hospital <laughs> if you tell yeah, anybody yeah. about, right? Or, or he would have maybe private care, a private ward in a hospital. I mean- Money is absolutely no object.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we still do adhere to, you know, respect for patient privacy <laughs> in, in medicine. but but Never heard of that. No, well, okay. Okay. But let's just be clear. We're just speculating here, obviously, again. Obviously. If when, when you see a patient with aphasia, like I just talked to you about some basic tests that we do for like a general neurologist, but the cognitive neurologists do even more tests. And in fact, what you need in these patients is not just a speech language assessment, which they do need, and of course, therapy to kind of help with some of these things, but they needed what's called a neuropsychological assessment, which looks at all your areas of learning, memory, what we call executive functioning, mm. and looks at all those areas. And putting all those things together, you can sometimes piece together much better than you know I could, just describing these very quickly, the type of aphasia someone has. But if we think about the primary progressive aphasia, what it sounds like is that latter one that we talked about, the logopenic. I wonder about that because I th- it just sounds like there's more going on, which I think is what you were getting at there, Ali. There's more than just aphasia because I wonder if there's some memory issues as well. Mm. Why am I here firing the gun twice? Like That's not a language issue right. unless he had difficulty comprehending, which I don't think that's what happened. And so I wonder if that's it. And it would actually make sense if he has this logopenic type because, like I said, it's, it's a very confusing kind of picture. There's a lot of overlap with Alzheimer's disease, and maybe they're seeing some other features, and that's why it's so hard to put it into a discrete category. And so maybe it's easier to say, well, you know, if it's a question mark as to whether he has Alzheimer's disease or not, or he has atypical features, maybe they're just focusing on the main thing that's interfering with his life, which is aphasia. And then over time, we can see. Like I said, some of these, you can only really know what the person had after an, autopsy but so mm. it doesn't help you when they're awake and alive that's why and again we don't know did he have that neuropsychological assessment again with his resources I'm sure he did he probably had mm. several and probably the top people in in America doing it and what did that show and how did that give them a clue in terms of what's what's going on if you read this article the one I was telling you about which reviews the primary progressive aphasias they talk about what you see on the neuropsychological testing for all these things like So, I mean, that would obviously be helpful to know, but again, not Mm -hmm. really appropriate for, you know, us on the armchair trying to. No, exactly. And and of
1: course, you know, I can't even ask what's next for Bruce Willis because we don't, as you said, it could be a combination of different things, you know, but I did want to ask when somebody is diagnosed with aphasia, what's the next thing? What are your options? And also, are there options for things to get better for you? or remain stagnant? What's the typical prognosis? Yeah. I
0: mean, you definitely would, as we talked about it, want to refer them to a speech therapist, A, to help with their speech, but also to look at other ways of communicating, right? Sometimes writing is preserved in some of these people. Sometimes it's not. Depends a bit about the type of aphasia as well as what other adjacent areas are involved. I didn't get into that, but reading and writing... You want to see how well those are preserved or not preserved, and then see if that's other ways to communicate. So speech therapy, for sure. The neuropsychological assessment, for sure. But unfortunately, treatment is pretty limited. Most experts, from my understanding, would recommend trying medications that we use in Alzheimer's disease. There are some medications that have some evidence for efficacy. It's not very good, though. You know, there's no miraculous thing which turns back the hands of time and makes you better from that point of view. Mm. You just hope maybe you can slow the decline with these medicines, but they're moderate at best in terms of doing it. And again, not all of these have. The evidence for those medicines is mainly in Alzheimer's disease. And lots of these conditions we talked about may not fit into Alzheimer's. But from my reading, I think some of these dementia specialists would still suggest you try these ones because, you know, maybe there's nothing to lose, even if you gain a little bit of slowing of the disease progression.
1: In the case of a stroke that then leads to aphasia, once you have the stroke, is that not where all the damage is done in that instant. And then it doesn't continue. You're just left with the, you know, a stroke situation. Correct. So then Correct. can you not there with this new reality, having had a stroke, can you not build back up potentially with, you know, not only physically with your physiotherapy for your body, if you let's say have uh, limb paralysis or whatever, can you not do the same with your speech?
0: You can. Leave us on a
1: happy note, you bastard. Well,
0: you can, but it really depends on your age. The older you are, and Bruce Willis is, I think, is 67, I think. You know, the older you are, it's tougher. In young kids who have strokes, and so people always get surprised when we tell them that we see babies and children with stroke. I mean, I have lots of patients in my practice who have had strokes. But the difference with those kids is... The brain, especially when you're young, is plastic. We call it neuroplasticity. In other words, if you have an area of injury, you can rewire around those areas. And some kids who I've seen who have had strokes when they were very young, like babies, you can't even tell they've had a stroke. There's nothing. Their language is fine. Their motor function is fine. Maybe if you're a neurologist or a physiotherapist, you could pick up some subtle differences. But really, they're quote unquote normal. But the older you get, the less likely you're going to have this recovery and the less likely you're going to be able to kind of rewire out those areas. And, you know, definitely once you're over 50, I think it's much less likely.
1: I want to end on some theorizing. You remember when Prince, rest in peace, Prince died, Michael Jackson died. These Immediately, like within days, the focus turned on their doctors. What had they been prescribed and so on? In my mind, my mind here turns to Bruce Willis's entourage, including his assistant slash handler, who is named in the article. They know very well who he is, but he had a larger entourage of people. And those people were, I believe, protecting him, but putting others in danger in the process. So do you envision a world where action is taken against any of them, or is it not the case because nobody was hurt?
0: I mean, this is all kind of, yeah, I mean, it's it's speculation on part to a certain extent. We know these things happen because it's been reported on by various media outlets, Mm -hmm. and they've interviewed many people from the movie sets. But the question is, how much did they know, which is similar to like the doctors for like Michael Jackson, like, why are you prescribing him propofol? Why are you injecting this into him? And are you just doing it because they want to? This becomes a bit more complicated, right? Because it's like, what's their motivation for putting him on movie sets? Again, it's very clear greed. in some of these just articles. Just greed, absolutely. Well, this is it's what greed. I'm saying, because if you see, he's been in many, many in the past 10 to 15 years direct to video movies. And he's in the movies for maybe five to 15 minutes total. Right. And, right. And, but he and, sells. But he, and he's he on the DVD pro- cover or yeah. whatever. And so this sells, especially in international markets, because he's a known commodity. So what was going through their head? They're like, okay, let's just get him on set, as you said, for a few hours, do 15 minutes total in the course of the movie, and collect the paycheck. But who's making that decision? Is it Bruce Willis who's saying, I want to be doing this? It seems very – again – Seems unlikely to me, just speculating here. Seems very unlikely he's the one saying, yeah, I need to get 10 movies in the next year. Apparently, he had a huge amount of movies in 2021. No. A 67-year-old man is not goal
1: setting. He's not vision boarding on January 1st going, this year, Bruce, you got to do this and this is... This is a man who is through and through at his very core an actor and he just wants to do the work. That's it. He loves the work. He doesn't know his identity is anything other than an actor. I That's mean, hope And I, I think hope it's his so. team that, that there's like, we can get you more, we can get you
0: more. You could theorize that, I mean, I just hope it was still his choice at the end, I guess, because you could theorize if he was so far gone, especially if he has like some aspects of dementia, was he capable of making the decisions to- do all these different things, mm-hmm. and clearly something had to hit a point because it's not like he appeared on the red carpet and something embarrassing happened and something like that. Something has happened in the past. Yeah, well, weeks. that's what bothers Maybe me. I think that this. something has to happen. Why can't we just be
1: like, hey, somebody's going to get hurt, and we know, you know, there was a a quote in that L.A. Times article about one of his handlers or agents getting a call from a director and the director had, had worked with him a year prior and he was saying Bruce wasn't in great shape. How's he doing now? He's great. Totally different person. He's much, much better. And then, so that guy goes, okay, so I'll work with Bruce. He took the agent at his word. They work with each other in a second movie and he goes, he wasn't, he wasn't better. He was actually worse. He was actually worse. And then we had to make a decision as a team. We can't work with Bruce Willis again. Everybody who's working with him knows that he's a liability and it's the, I don't know, this, you know, it's the same reason that there's like a Shrek three or maybe not Shrek three is not the best example, but whatever, all these movies that don't need to exist it's because we have a product. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's squeeze every ounce of revenue out of every single product we have that could maybe generate some income. And that's who these people become, right? That's who the Bruce Willis's of the world become also. Just squeezing every drop of blood slash income out of them. So I don't blame Bruce Willis in my mind, especially if he has a fascia. I don't think if he's asking questions like what am I doing here? I don't think it's really about him being like, get me out there, goddamn. Yeah,
0: I think there's a legitimate concern that he was taking advantage of. Let's just, I mean, that's what we're saying.
1: That is- what we're saying,
0: and it is a concern again, like again, this is all alleged and, and just uh, speculating. One thing that's interesting, there's a lot of kind of like it's not necessarily revisionist history, but Kevin Smith, the director of Kevin Smith, famously directed Cop Out with Bruce Willis. And you know, Kevin Smith, I don't know, you know, he a podcast and he has these one man shows that that like he did a lot in the past, and he would just, you know, just him talking for like hours in front of his fans. and. Significant portions of his shows were devoted to him complaining about how brutal Bruce Willis was to work with. I think Cop Out came out around 2010 or so. And so he's is issued an apology. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And, you know, I take back everything negative thing I said about it. I'm like, Maybe, you know, that certainly could be the case he was having symptoms way back then, or maybe not. Like I said, it's not like he has a Tom Hanks reputation in Hollywood of being the nicest person in the world that everybody thinks is so great. It's mm. like you know, people have thought he has been a jerk off and on over the years. So, it's just interesting. I don't know what to say. Well, but it's still it's still Mike it's still Kevin Smith taking the high road obviously, which is it, good which for him. Which is to kind do. of him,
1: but listen, Cop Out was 2010. OK, so he's trying to say, like, maybe Bruce. And if that's the case, if it's been 12 full years plus of Bruce suffering from some medical neurological condition, even more reason to skewer his agents and handlers and yeah. assistants. Yeah. That yeah. At
0: the very least, we have questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I meant skewer verbally. Us. This is us. We're skewering them. That'll teach him. I got that.
0: Okay, that's our show for today. Let us know what you think about that. Again, another topical conversation that has to do with medicine and entertainment. Remember, reach out to us, DrVComedian at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. All my cognitive neurology friends let me know what I got wrong in this episode. (laughs) We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, DrVComedian. And Ali, do you have anything to plug?
1: Well, I'll be in Halifax at the
0: end of April, the Mm. Halifax Comedy
1: Festival. I mean a couple of shows, some of them are already sold out. It's selling very well. People obviously want to get out there and have some laughs. I'll be at a Perry Sound comedy festival for people more, you know, sort of northern, but not semi mid low, low northern listen, Ontario.
0: Perry Sound, their online newspaper, did an article about doctor versus comedian. So come on. I'm I'm a big fan of Perry Sound. Okay, Perry if Sound, I... come on out. Yeah. And then we have some exciting stuff coming up in the next little while and lots of guests coming up yeah. soon. So it's very exciting. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Definitely not Bruce Willis's doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.